0: Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske.
1: Hello, 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 my friends. Hey, welcome to episode 196 with a special guest, Drew Page. Drew is a mental health advocate and author out of Chicago, and she is here today discussing her memoir, The Darkness Within. that came out this past August. In the interview, you're going to hear all kinds of important information about mental health and bipolarism, uh, the types of of bipolar, which that was new to me. I didn't know there was different types, Um, how to identify it and dealing with mental health Along with uh, lots of great information about the book, how the book came about, and how, how Drew deals with this on an everyday basis. It is a fantastic interview that I cannot wait to share with you, so stay tuned. It's coming up here in just a moment. Meanwhile, I'm back, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I took a unplanned leave of absence... Uh, Not to draw any attention to it, you know, because those of you who are checking out an episode once in a while, you don't know any different. Uh, But uh, yeah, I spent actually ended up with a couple of weeks there where I was the lone person at work. And it really consumed my time between that and having the phone switched to me 24 hours a day over like two, three week period. Preparing my book, Bandit Rising, which did come out to great success, uh, October 22nd, uh, and just a lot of life things going on, um, it was just good for me to take a little break and uh, have a little breather, you know, and at no point did I even once consider, am I going back, do I really want to go back and do the show, no, I never never did that, it even cross my mind of not coming back, I love doing this show, I love talking to my authors, and uh, I love getting to uh, hear back from you all and uh yeah we are back and uh this is episode 196 we are closing in quickly on episode 200 i (laughs) you'd think after a couple of weeks away i'd have things nailed down on what i'm going to be doing uh i do have a plan for something for episode 200 but i'm still working at the details suffice to say uh we are going to have more authors coming up and uh, more interviews and the show is not stopping anytime soon so uh as I mentioned, Bandit Rising came out. Uh, it's been two weeks now, uh, October twenty-second. Fantastic! It did did really, really well for the release date, and it's been it's actually been selling very steadily uh, ever since. Um, it seems like I've got sales and page reads every day. It's a quick read. Um, ended up coming in a little over fifty thousand words all total plus I have a sample chapter from book 2 in the series included at the end of it the paperback turned out incredible I absolutely love it oh and I did it in a uh, the 5x8 platform so it's a smaller paperback it's much closer to the old the classic old paperbacks you know that that you would actually like put in your back pocket it's it's so much closer to that size and I absolutely love that for bandit because bandit is such a throwback you know it's that 80s science fiction alien invasion thing with all these movies that he quotes and stuff you know from the 80s so it, it really has that good feel to it and uh thank you everyone who's been following along and checking out the book and uh, it's been uh, it's been a, a great time and i look forward to uh working on the next one i'm, I'm doing that right now with nano rymo uh, that kicked off November 1st, which actually that's today as I record this. So, <laughs> and so far I have not written Word 1. Um, anybody who's been following the show knows that I did start Book 2 two years ago, actually. When I finished Book 1, I, I started Book 2. I worked on it for a while only to realize later that I had mixed up my storylines and was going into book three with the story. So I've actually gone back through ever since uh, ever since Bandit 1 came out. I've been going back through and, and fixing up the timeline and taking things, moving stuff around. And I'm uh, getting ready to start fresh, start brand new with Bandit 2 um, later tonight, I guess. So looking forward to that. And with any luck, uh, we'll have book two out here in a few more months. Um, as always, I want to thank our sponsors, starting with the affiliate of the show, Writer's Block Coffee. I love this coffee, and uh, you really have got to try it out. They uh, Right now, they've got three different incredible flavors. The Signature Writer's Block Coffee is their signature blend. Uh, there is also the Deadline Dark, and my own personal favorite, the Whiskey Barrel Aged coffee, which oh my gosh, that is so good. Uh, you can sign up for a one-time order or do auto pay so that you never run out and uh, don't forget to use the the code sample chapter whenever you go to check out and save yourself 10%. I also want to thank returning sponsor Scribner. I'm doing all of my writing through Scribner and all of this work I've been doing on books two and three uh, and in one for that matter has been so much easier because of Scribner. Hey, check out this advertisement and learn how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scribner. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scribner Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Thank you once again to Scribner. I love having them here with me on the show and uh, renewing that uh, friendship that we've been together for, uh, for so long now, two, two years. I also want to thank my podcast friends, starting with Pop Goes to Culture Network. Home to about half a dozen other shows, all of them pop culture related and all of them incredible. So click that link in the show notes to find out more. And I want to thank my brand new bunch of friends at the Author Library Network that we are now a part of. And just so many great shows. I'm still going through some of them myself. I had the invite a couple weeks ago, and I think I mentioned it in the last episode, but uh, I haven't had a chance to follow up and... Complete the membership up until uh, today, and that's pretty much all I've done so far is just completed the membership. But some of uh, some old friends are on there with their old uh, shows, uh, members of the Project Entertainment Network that we were previously part of. Uh, a lot of those shows, the writer themed shows, anyway, moved over, and uh, we are a part of that. So make sure you click that link in the show notes to find out more about the Author Library Network. All right, everyone. Well, it's been great catching up with you, and I look forward to doing that more in the coming weeks. But without further ado, I think it's time to get on over to our interview with our guest, Drew Page. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to another delightful episode. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest uh, which is Drew Page. Uh, Drew comes from Chicago and uh, we are having a wonderful chat about her new mental illness uh, book. It's a memoir and uh, just just so much good stuff that uh, I can't wait to discover along with you the listener and uh, without further ado Drew welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am very, very honored to be here. I think it's going to be a really great show. So thank you.
1: <laughs> well, the honor is all mine. And I'm I'm so glad that we worked this out. I'm glad that you were able to come on. And uh, I mean, you have a fascinating book that I cannot wait to dive into. But uh, can you give us, um, I guess, without going into the book yet, let's uh, hear a little bit about what y- about you and uh, uh, what you do.
0: Sure. So You know, I started in the mental health field when I was, you know, I graduated from Bradley University back in 98, and I'm 45 years old, and I really wanted to help people. So I went into psychology, and my first job out of school was a mental health professional. Um, I basically was a caseworker for people with severe mental illness. And, you know, growing up, I was abused by my father. And on the outside, it was this perfect wealthy, you know, family. Um, I have two sisters, a beautiful mother and a dad. And, you know, my dad was a very successful divorce attorney and, you know, little did anybody know on the inside from the age of eight years old, my father was verbally abusing me. And then it escalated to him um, slapping me when I was 12. And then when I was 14, um, I was home alone. And hence my first chapter, uh, mm. the night that changed everything, he brutalized me and I could have died. So that incident in itself um, changed my life forever. And it triggered mental illness, which I never understood until age 30 when I was diagnosed with bipolar two disorder.
1: Oh, my. I, now, you uh, you took some time to really deal with this for a long time, kept it within yourself. And then at what point did you decide you're ready to write a book about this?
0: It's so bizarre. So at the beginning of the pandemic, now let me just preface this with, I've been keeping journals since I was... Not even kidding, seven years old (laughs) up until my 30s. Mm. So I have like my whole lifeline written out. I've always been a writer, nobody's known about it. And I read a memoir at the beginning of the pandemic and I was like, oh my God, I have a story to tell. I think it's time. Mm. So I submitted chapters randomly, right? Never thinking anything of it. And the publishing company loved it and they're like, done. And so I literally wrote my story in five months, which is oh, unheard, wow. but I've been holding in all this trauma, you know, for how many years, my whole life.
1: Oh my gosh, man, I, I'm, I'm trying to gather my words together. That was, that's amazing. Uh, so, uh, so the book title is the darkness within it yeah. is um, you can always come out of the other side of your trauma, which thankfully it seems like you have done a remarkable job of doing such um can you give us a little bit about the book where i believe you have some author notes
0: yeah i'm gonna read um the author note i think it's really going to you know change the narrative about mental health and kind of i write like i speak so i think it's kind of engaging with the reader Mm -hmm. so i i'll i'll start When we are brought into this world, no one tells us how difficult life is. It is like when you're getting married. Not one person at the wedding says, hey, this shit is going to be really hard. Good luck. Nope. They congratulate you, ask you when you're planning a family, tell you and to enjoy the honeymoon. This is how I look at my life. It has been a journey and not one person has told me how to navigate it. I have had to figure out life on my own. After 44 years, I felt it was my time to share my experiences with mental illness. I wanted to share the trials and tribulations I have experienced navigating life with a diagnosis of bipolar 2 disorder. From my own life journey, I want others who have family members with mental illness or they themselves have a mental illness to feel normal, not stigmatized by what society says mental illness is. Discrimination occurs when people talk about mental illness. Many people believe that people who are mentally ill are dangerous or crazy. When in fact, people who have a mental illness, including me, are just like everyone else. People who have mental illnesses also have steady jobs and function in society just the same as other people do. They have ongoing and lasting loving relationships. The only difference is that people who have a mental illness have symptoms They have to manage daily. With the right treatment team, having a functioning great life is possible. I was physically, verbally, and emotionally abused, as well as covertly sexualized by my own father. In response to the trauma of what was happening to me, I began to have symptoms of a mental illness at a very young age. When I was 30 years old, I got the diagnosis of bipolar 2 disorder. Living with a mental illness my whole life, I have had to hide it. I am still hiding it and many of my friends do not know about my illness. The shame of letting others know, my secret was and is too much to bear. I've worked in a mental health facility as a mental health professional for the past year. I have learned from working with people who have a diagnosis of schizophrenia, bipolar one disorder, schizoaffective disorder and many other disorders, that you can always come out the other side of your trauma. It has been a transformative experience working with so many who have had such a positive outlook on their lives and their illnesses. The illness did not define them. It was just a part of who they were. My time there made me realize I did not need to continue hiding behind my mask. I came into this world a clean slate and the rest was up to my parents to shape me into the person I grew up to be. I used to blame my father for my illness. I was so angry at the fact that the abuse made me the way that I am with my diagnosis. I now no longer set blame upon my father because through therapy, I have chosen to not live in the anger that I felt. I have empathy for the abusive experiences that he had encountered as a child, but I have also not forgotten what he did to me. I want to get back to who I was before he took what was rightfully mine my authentic self, which I am relearning through the healing process of therapy and the right medication. I am still the kind, empathetic, funny, fun, good mother, wife, sister, daughter, also a good friend to those I have let get close to me. Having a mental illness is not easy and it is something I struggle with every day. Unless you experience symptoms, it is hard to understand what the person who deals with them daily is going through. Family and friends unfamiliar with mental illness often struggle with how to cope with a loved one's symptoms and a diagnosis. The takeaway I want you to have after reading this book is that living life while managing symptoms of a mental illness is a process. We have choices how we choose to cope with the things that happen to us in life. We can have dysfunctional avoidant behaviors and blame the world for our own pain or we can choose to do the internal work to heal our hearts and minds I am choosing to do the internal work. I am so tired of living with the ups and downs of shame and guilt and self-doubt. As I have written this book, I have experienced a cathartic release of emotions that, I, that are helping set me free. If you are reading this book, I want you to see a part of yourself in my writing. Many people experience symptoms of mental illnesses without even realizing it. I would have been so grateful to have read something that I have identified with as a young person or even as an adult. I am hopeful that my book will bring awareness regarding mental illness, and I want whoever is reading this to feel accepted and validated in their thoughts and feelings. My story is one of the underdog. I did not let the darkness take over the light that was always waiting for me. I was told by a close friend that pain transfers into art. This book is my art.
1: Wow so now i'm one of those people who i've never dealt with uh, myself Uh, mental illness um, i'm very positive and for me um, the glass is always half full you know i'm always very very positive thinking so understanding um, mental illness and uh, even suicidal thoughts is very foreign for me at times And my wife is a suicide prevention awareness uh, trainer when, when it was one of the things she did in the military. And so we would, uh, we were like trying to figure that out. Like she was wanting to explain it to me. Right. Um, So with that in mind, then I guess some of the questions I would have is, can you explain to some of us what, what um, see bipolar two disorder is?
0: Interesting. I have, I actually wrote down exactly what it is. So there are two (laughs) This is this is the thing with um mental illness. There are two different types of bipolar. There is one and two. Mm-hmm. And I have I want to read out exactly what they are so the listeners understand what they are cuz listen, mm-hmm. education is power, right? Yeah. Um okay. So bipolar 1 is you have trouble sleeping. You are z- exhibiting a lot of energy. You're acting as if you can achieve anything you want. You're looking and acting weird, agitated. It's very, there is very, it's mania and depression. So somebody with bipolar one usually is, it's like the people I worked with in the facility. They have a very hard time functioning in the world, okay? Mm. Socially, they have a hard time getting a job because it's a very high, high and a very low, low. Mm. So with bipolar one, they they're, they have an inability to realize their behaviors are inappropriate. So they could, they could have this conversation, right. Mm -hmm. But it's never really balanced. It is, it's very erratic. Um, And it's very hard to have relationships with somebody with bipolar one, because unless they're on the right medication and have a wonderful treatment team, because it is possible. um, But that, that is bipolar one. Mania looks as, You know, going on shopping sprees, spending like $10,000 on their credit card when they don't have the money, Hmm. sleeping with a lot of people, promiscuity, and there's always major consequences to the actions. And then depression is suicidal ideation, not taking care of their hygiene, hibernating um, in their homes, not wanting to have any contact with anybody, sleeping all the time. As you can tell, it's very you know, opposite, meaning bipolar, right? Yeah. So that is one. Two, like me, um, it is very functioning. You can have jobs, you can, you know, the person has at least one hypomanic episode. So, you know, that basically hypomania is like hyper, Hmm. but you know, fast speaking, but to, to people on the outside, it looks like a person who's really fun and outgoing and people are like a magnet around them. Yeah. Um, you would never know that the person has this diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has like the depression piece, definitely. But it's the depressed mood. It feels sad, empty, hopeless. And it does have the depressive you know, um, symptoms as one. And it can get as bad as one, but also like the medications and the treatments for two, because you are more functioning in society and you have a better grasp or you're more self aware, hmm. it's easier to live with two rather than one.
1: I see. Okay. You yeah, know, and it's funny because all these years I've heard of bipolar. This is the first time i ever clicked with me on the name, how it came to that name. Yeah. <laughs> that is a, fascinating.
0: Yes. And it's, it's very interesting because it, it takes a lot of work to get to a space like I have, you know, um, there are so many different therapies that help the chemical imbalance in somebody's brain that brings upon this diagnosis. Hmm. And if you do the work and if you have the right medication treatment team support, you can live a great functioning normal life. Is Mm -hmm. it easy? No. (laughs) It's hard, you know. But you're willing to do the work. And if you have a good grasp on who you are as a person, you'll be okay. You know?
1: Hmm. Now is is I understand that bipolar is a chemical disorder. Yes. Uh is this something that is natural or is it brought on by trauma?
0: Interesting. I love these questions. So I'll give you a perfect example. So my sisters and I grew up in the same home, obviously and hmm. and children who witness trauma in the home, you, everybody is predispositioned to have a mental illness, okay? everybody. Hmm. and it's it's genetic, right? We all have this genetic DNA, and you know, from our mother and father. And if there is mental illness on both sides of the family, on one side of the family. So basically if something triggers that trauma in somebody's brain for myself, it was brought upon by severe abuse. And because I had severe abuse something in my brain triggered a chemical imbalance. Now, what is so devastating about this and makes me so sad is that after I wrote this book when I was 44, I'm 45 now, but it took me last year writing this book through research to realize if that never happened to me, if my father had never brutalized me, I never would have had this diagnosis. Wow. So it's really a matter of, You know the trauma and what experience you have in your life. Now, certain children they experience trauma, but the chemical imbalance doesn't click in their brain. They obviously might have behavior issues, but sometimes it doesn't trigger that illness. It just depends on the individual.
1: Hmm, that's fascinating. And yeah, I mean, and as a writer, I mean that helps inform me. I feel like I'm going like, oh my gosh, that could explain this character I have in my head. Right, what's going on with them, and you know, some things like that, or. something that could be triggered and whatever. So that's amazing information.
0: Thank you. And what's so awesome about my book is every single symptom, detail, traumatic experience, relationship experience. I have research that backs it. I've never read a memoir, especially a mental health memoir that has research ingrained in the narrative. Mm. And because I have so much education um, not only working in the field for 13 plus years, I also have life experience, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's
0: like on both ends, I'm so full of knowledge in this um, field that I, I can just talk for days about why and when and what, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, how has how has writing the book helped you in life, and has it helped you with your work?
0: Yeah it's, it's helped me in different ways. You know, writing the book, I was in a deep therapy. Um, and this, it was this eye movement desensitization therapy, and I did it every week. And what that is, is you go through a traumatic experience with your therapist, and then she does this hypnotic thing with her finger and you have to process what happened to you. And, through writing this book, I was doing that therapy that was allowing me to feel emotions while I was writing, because if you read my book and when I read you the first chapter, the details are so specific because Mm -hmm. my post-traumatic stress, as I was writing, I'm reliving the trauma. So writing the book was pretty traumatic for me, but I have to be honest with you. I started working with a wonderful, um, man who read my story and wants he wanted to write a screenplay to turn my memoir into a film so there's importance behind this story um his name is devix and he i connected with him on twitter he had mentioned something underneath my post about my book and he read my book and it really hit at the core of him and he's like i want to work on this with you so he came to chicago and we worked on the screenplay together. He's a brilliant, brilliant man and a wonderful actor and an incredible writer. So my breakthrough, mm-hmm. which I didn't experience writing this book, was when we worked on the screenplay and I had a breakdown, <laughs> which <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, yeah. it, it was really hard. I feel it's it's been difficult, you know, talking about... Trauma over and over what's happened to me has not been easy. It's yeah. been difficult.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things I find extremely admirable, and, and I don't think this is specific to bipolarism. I think it's specific to anyone with trauma is how you have come out on the other side. You, in, in your words, the fight was worth the battle and you don't hold blame looking back on it. You're, you're moving forward. Yes. And I find that extremely admirable, but how did you get to that position? Like, how did you find yourself in the position where you're ready to go? I'm ready to live now instead of back then.
0: Honest. I'm going to be a hundred percent. It's a day-to-day. Yeah. Some are better than others. It's a journey. Um, I talk about that in my last chapter, you know, I present, you know, very put together and articulate and, and, certain things. But the truth is, it is a day to day fight. And some days I wake up and I call it a a game of Russian mood roulette. You know, (laughs) it's exhausting living in my brain. I choose to fight because I feel like I can help people. I have daughters to raise. I have a family and, and I think my life is worth it. You know, I tell the story, which this gets me every time I, four years ago, um, was standing on the ravine by my home and Mm -hmm. I was just ready to jump. And I had a choice and I chose to live. So I have, um, I have days where it's very difficult and many of them are. And that's the honest truth. That is Part of trauma is that I'm not living in my trauma, right? It's just so much has happened to me in my life that I want the glass to be half full. It's mm. It just feels so pained a lot of the times. Um, yeah. And that's just a product of the trauma that I've been through.
1: Yeah. So how about uh, the, uh, the process of coming out, so to speak, with the book? And here's all your raw emotions and the experiences and the stuff that nobody knew about you before. What has that experience been like for you?
0: Terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it's been terrifying. Um, I, I write about in my book, my whole single life, I, um, used men, you know, I always had this charisma with men, um, connection. I was always like a guy's guy, but I'm I'm very feminine. And I've always been very attractive to the opposite sex, so to speak, from the time I was a young girl. And Mm -hmm. um, I had a very hard time being vulnerable with men. And it wasn't until I met my husband when I was 25, that it was the first man that I was vulnerable with. And when Mm -hmm. I say vulnerable, I mean, like, like, we're talking now. Um, I had never let a man in. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have very good relationships with men, but I never let myself go there. I I feel like having to talk about my book is very much like that. It's like, I have to give myself permission to be vulnerable in order to help people Mm -hmm. be open with their vulnerability and pain. And that is very difficult for me.
1: Well, and and that's something that we, we talked a little bit beforehand that the experience that you are sharing has helped other people already, that you've already yeah. got a great reception from this. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I actually, I have, you know, some reviews that I, I want to share because it really, these are people, strangers that read my book and mm-hmm. it's, I want to just take a moment because it's remarkable. So on Amazon, the Sierra, she wrote, Drew made me feel seen. In her memoir, Drew discusses the trauma she was subjected to at the hands of her father, also the personal struggles with mental illness. She shines a light on the world of mental illness, showing that you are not alone in your struggles. I did not expect for this memoir to make me do as much self-reflection as I did. There were so many times when it felt like I was reading words from my old journals. Drew's writing really resonated with me. It made me feel seen. So people, people are really getting it. And, and I think, you know, another person, I love how this person wrote this. They wrote a brave personal editorial on emotional mental disorders and the need for destigmatization. It says, do not mistake this work for a misery memoir. It is a frank and fair examination of the challenges faced by sufferers of a mental disorder, not simply by their symptoms and what might have led them to them. This is an important book. I believe Page's memoir could and should have the same place in the canon of personal reflection on emotional disorders as Prozac Nation. And if you know Prozac Nation, My book is very much like Prozac Nation, The Glass Castle, and these like Girl Interrupted, these these stories that hit at the core and it's raw, it's real, and it doesn't shy away from the actuality of the pain that people go through. But Mm -hmm. also it's a survival story. Like I'm still here, right? And that was half the battle.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to presume anything, but it seems like the feedback you're getting from it has kind of helped, helped you some with your healing, having gone through it again, relived it all to write this book, left you very raw, but then hearing that you're not alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really, um, I have an Instagram page, drew page underscore author, and I've had it for a year and I have talked to, I'm not even kidding over, I would say 80 people on direct message and they tell me from all over the world and they tell me their trauma and how my story has made them talk about their own mm-hmm. so it was the first time in my life i can't i can't even lie that i haven't felt alone wow yeah
1: my goodness that's that's amazing that's, that's fantastic thank you well, drew what's next for you uh more writing do you have something else to say
0: Yeah, I mean, my dream is to make this memoir into a film, and I have been, listen, I'm relentless when it comes to going after what I want. I've been in contact with Hollywood directors, producers, and I'm hoping to make this happen. Um, The narrative on film needs to change with mental illness. You know, I think it just shows people who are unhinged and crazy, and and the, the truth is, you know, I have these statistics here, which are so important, my bringing awareness to like how normal this is. I mean, one in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year and um, 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins at age 14 and 75% by age 24. People listen to this, 20.6% of U.S. adults Experience mental illness in 2019. That's 51.5 million people. Wow. In the US. So this is, this is a crisis and mm-hmm. with the pandemic, you know, my goal is to be an advocate for mental health. I would love a TED talk. I would love to publicly speak, um, continue to be on podcasts. I don't want to be famous, right? I, I want this to be a bestseller to help people because mm-hmm. not enough people understand what this is, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've been one of them for a long time. It's, I, it's, I'm one of those people admittedly that I know the word I've experienced people who say they have it. And you know, that explains certain behaviors, but I've never really understood it very much myself. Yeah. So yeah, it would be, it's, it's definitely going to be something I'm going to have to uh, check out.
0: Thank you so much. I think, you know, just having that conversation and like having a face to somebody who is educated, right. And mm-hmm. who, you know, has a family and a normal life and's never been hospitalized and all these different things. Like I'm a normal person. It's yeah. just a matter, you know, I had an, an unfortunate event and <laughs> trauma mm-hmm. that created this part of who I am, but it's not who I am, you know, right. just part of me.
1: I, and I think that's a fantastic way to uh, to wrap this up. I love, it's just like your quote here of in life, we're given a choice to live in our past or thrive in our future. And like you said, this is not, it's a part of your life, but it's not who you are. And you have a, a wonderful book that's uh, gonna educate people and uh, inform a lot of people. I think it's gonna help a lot. And I'm, I'm so thrilled you have been here with me to uh, discuss this.
0: Thank this a so
1: wonderful book. Where can people find and follow you?
0: So I can be found on um, Instagram, drew page underscore author, and I can be found on Twitter. I can be found, um, I'm actually on stage 32, which is uh, pretty cool. It's for, you know, actors and authors and directors. And, um, but I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. I, you know, I talk to a lot of people and it's funny, a lot of people don't realize they're actually talking to me like, Mm. but it's me. (laughs) Um, I, you know, my book can be found on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the darkness within a memoir drew page. And it is, you know, Kindle it's 99 cents and you know, uh, paperback seventeen ninety nine. I think it's a pretty great price point for, you know, what it is. I think everybody should have this book. It's important to understand things that we don't understand. And so many people know somebody, not with a mental illness necessarily, but who has depression, you know, mm. and I also have a blog, which I've only written like four or five things, but it's on medium.com and I talk about um, I'm a diehard romantic. I talk about love. I talk about life. I talk about um, how to help somebody who is mentally ill and what to do if you know somebody is suicidal or wants to hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. because not everybody has the knowledge, you know. Um, so you know, before we're done with this conversation, I have numbers that everybody should put in their phones and their notes. Because so many teenagers, young adults, adults just don't know what the hell to do when it comes to helping somebody, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you've got those that information, let us know. And then I'm gonna make sure and have links for all this in the show notes as well.
0: That would be amazing. The help numbers are the National Suicide Prevention Helpline is 24 seven and it's 1-800-273-8255. The self-harm text line, 741-741. The self-harm number is 1-800-448-3000 or text voice to 20121. And they're also in my book, actually, the numbers. So Fantastic.
1: Fantastic. Drew, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside with my coffee and uh, hand the floor over to my guest, Drew Page. With the darkness within.
0: Thank you so much. So, I am going to read my first chapter. Um, This book is really a journey of my life. And, you know, the first chapter is the night that changed everything. And that is where I am going to begin. When I was 14 years old, I was your typical teenager. I had a lot of friends and I was on the go, hanging out with my girlfriends at the movies, talking on the phone, having boyfriends, and most importantly, making sure my parents were not interrupting my social life. I was getting in a lot of trouble at this age. I had a big mouth and I thought I knew it all. I started talking back to my parents. Little did I know this would make my teenage life a living hell. I would be grounded, which meant I could not watch TV, talk on the phone, or go out and be with my friends. This made me so angry because all I wanted to do was to be social and have fun. I did not want to sit in my room bored all day and night. I especially did not want to hang out with my parents on a Friday or Saturday night. Let's be honest, that is every teenager's nightmare. One night when I was grounded, my father came home to get tomato juice. I was alone in the house and my mother was across the street at the neighbor's house. My older and younger sister were also out of the house that evening. My father said to me, who drank all of the tomato juice? In a loud, annoyed and stern voice that would scare a small child. I looked up smug and pissed off. Me, why? My father looked at me with hate in his eyes. You asshole, why would you drink that? I needed it for Bloody Mary's with the neighbors. Fuck you, asshole, I replied. Those words set off the most traumatic night of my entire life. My father came toward me. He was six foot one and about 200 pounds at the time, while I was five foot four and around 100 pounds. In my head, I heard the voice that your subconscious uses to tell you when you are in trouble, scream at me, run. So I ran. He chased me and pushed me down on the stairs. I screamed at the top of my lungs. What are you going to do? Hit me? go ahead. I fucking hate you. So he did. With a full fist, my father punched me out cold. I saw black and then white stars, like lights in the cartoons when the cat was hit with the bat. After the stars came blackness, and then I came to. My father stood over me, and I tried to crawl up the stairs away from him, tears streaming down my face. He grabbed my hair and pulled me up the flight of stairs with it. I remember thinking, I hate him. I wish he were dead. Why is no one coming to save me? When we got to the top of the stairs, I managed to run down past them. He was raging like a fire had been set inside of his soul. I ran out the front door with no coat and no shoes. It was the dead of winter in the suburbs of Chicago and 30 degrees with snow and ice on the stoop of the house. He locked me out and stood there staring at me as I was standing outside in a lightweight, long sleeve shirt and leggings, I thought, I cannot believe this is happening. I just kept imagining different scenarios in my head of me trying to run. I contemplated running across the street to get my mother, but as though my body was paralyzed and I could not move. I was in a state of trauma but did not understand at the time what was happening to me. I realized it was too cold and I was not wearing any shoes so I could not bring myself to run. Plus my eye was swollen shut and I did not know if I could compose myself in front of my neighbors. I had just seen the movie Misery with Kathy Bates and I remember the main character flicking her off. As I stood outside freezing, I looked at him through the glass, flicked him off and mouthed, fuck you. He just smirked as if me flicking him off did nothing at all. Outside I was bold, fearless, and hateful. Just wanting this man who happened to be my father to release me from this hell. Inside, I was just a terrified 14-year-old wanting her mother to come home and save her. He opened the door and pulled me inside by my arm. My heart was pounding, and it felt as though it would come out of my chest. The reality that I could not escape terrified me. For the next hour, he beat me and verbally abused me. There was no way for me to reach my mother. I so desperately wanted to reach her so she could save me in this moment. As my father was on top of me, choking me until I was blue in the face, I managed to whisper, you are killing me. Let me go, please. I really thought my own father was going to kill me in this moment. In a sort of -of out-of-body experience, I imagined what it would look like for my mother to walk into my house and find me lying there dead on the floor. In that moment, something snapped in my father's eyes as if he suddenly realized Holy shit, I am going to kill her if I do not release this grip on her neck. He got off me, pulled the phone out of the wall, threw it at me, and said, go call your fucking mother. I ran toward another phone with my eyes swollen shut, and I called my mother. In this moment, I thanked whoever was watching over me, above, for not letting me die. I felt so afraid of what had happened that I was shaking. My mind was on hyperspeed, trying to gather the thoughts of the madness that had taken over my father. I looked down at my striped shirt and my mind registered that the white stripe had blood spattered on it. I felt throbbing in my eye that my father had punched and my nose was bleeding. It felt surreal. I felt physical pain, but was even greater was the emotional pain that followed. I gathered myself in a quiet moment in my mind and then said hysterically, but quietly, mom, dad hurt me, please come home. She said, I'm coming now. Then she hung up the phone. I did not know where my father was in the house at this time, and I was so afraid he would come back to hurt me. I ran to my bathroom I shared with my sisters, and I put myself in between the toilet and the wall, like a safety net to coddle me in my moment of utter terror. My mother came home and asked my father where I was. I could not make out what he had said to her. When she found me, she said, are you okay? Oh my God, what happened? I just sobbed in my mother's arms, my teenage brain, could not process the trauma that had just occurred. I was in a state of shock. My mother cleaned me up and helped me change clothes. As I stood outside my parents' room, my mother was screaming, if you ever touch her again, I will divorce you. The next day, my mom put cover up on my black eye and said to me, it only happened once. In that moment, my teenage brain did not understand why my mom would say this to me, as if it was okay, it had happened at all. Little did I know when my mother was growing up, her father beat her and her siblings. This was why she had said this to me. I realize now as an adult of 44 years that trauma marries trauma most times. It's the cycle of abuse, so they say. She then told me to take the day and hang out with friends. My father had convinced my sisters and mother that I what had happened to me that night was not as bad as I claimed. It was not until my parents divorced when I was 23 that my sisters and mom realized I was telling the truth. He never beat me to that level again, but he would occasionally slap me, covertly sexualize me, and verbally abuse me until the age of 40. That is when I escaped the mental torment of the man I call my father.
1: Whoa. Holy cow. That was Drew Page reading a sample chapter from her new book, The Darkness Within, uh, it is a memoir and it is heavy. You definitely got to click those links in the show notes so you can pick up this book and find out more about Drew and where to follow her. And anyone out there who is suffering from any of these or if you know someone who is, please follow along with Helpline Numbers also in the show notes. Don't forget to also click the links for our podcast friends and sponsors alike. And hit that subscribe button so you don't miss that next week when I'm back with a new author, a new book, and an all new sample chapter. Take care, everyone. I'm going to see you again real, real soon.